I think by the middle of the century, I'm very, very confident that most fossil fuel fuel use will go away. We're going to all drive electric vehicles. We're probably going to fly on some electric planes, uh, not for long distances, but for regional regional planes. You know, urban air mobility will become a reality. The That's electric sort of, vertical takeoff and landing machines. I, I, I've been working on some of those. It's pretty yeah. fun stuff. Yeah, they need better batteries, right? That's that's like the key limiter. But they're a lot more redundant than helicopters. They're a lot. They can be a lot safer. So I think we'll get around differently. Um, we'll have abundant, cheap, clean energy. And and when you have that, you know, you can invest that in sort of solving whatever problem you want, right? If you if if uh, if energy doesn't have this this negative externality, you know, I, I don't know what creative entrepreneurs are going to figure out to do. With, with cheap, clean energy, but I bet the world will be a better place. Welcome to the American Optimist. We have Gene Brudachevsky here, the CEO of Sela. Gene, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Joe. You guys have raised over a billion dollars in, in this battery area. You, you were the seventh employee at Tesla. Is that right? Number that's seven. That's right. Yep. And you hold a bachelor's and master's in engineering from Stanford, which yeah, I went to right. as well. What year did you get out of Stanford? Uh, I was I, I left in 04. Oh, uh, similar, similar to me. That's when yeah. I was there. We didn't we didn't we didn't know each other. No. I was too busy in the computer labs. And <laughs> what, what, what kind of engineering were you studying? Yeah, I was a mechanical engineer and I, I was probably oh, too cool. busy at the solar car shed. Oh, the solar uh, car shed. Solar that's mm-hmm. cool. And so you're the seventh employee at Tesla. Let's go back a little bit before that. Your family came to the U.S. from Ukraine, I believe, right? So, so that must be a little bit of a difficult time for you with seeing what's going on there. You, do you have friends there still? Yeah, I was I was born in Ukraine. I mostly grew up in in uh, in Russia. Uh, so we came from Russia to uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, in in ninety two. Um, I was I was pretty young. It, it's certainly difficult seeing what's going on. Um, you know, fortunate that the most of our friends and family have have been long gone, but but certainly still a lot of ties uh, to the area. Um, and actually, my, my last name uh, stems from uh, a Ukrainian town of Berdichev. Uh, so a lot of roots back to that area as well. What brought your family to the U.S.? Opportunity. Um, you know, my folks were um, uh, electrical engineers uh, working on nuclear subs in Russia. Oh, wow. and, uh, you know, they, they saw the opportunity America had. Um, we have some some Jewish roots as well. Uh, it wasn't sort of the most um, um, welcome place for, 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 for Jews in Russia. Uh, and so that when they, when they had a, a chance, they came, um, and my dad's an entrepreneur and he's built businesses here and, and the like, uh, since then. Awesome. And you know, at Stanford, you were really into solar cars and I guess, I guess you, you dropped, did you drop out of Stanford ultimately for your I, master's degree? I, technically I did. I, I, I dropped out kind of with a couple, couple classes to go, uh, after my third year, joined, joined Tesla, um, saw the opportunity, saw sort of the opportunity to take what we'd done at solar car and really take it to kind of, was Elon the there yet when you joined? Mostly no. So I spent a lot of time with JB. I mean, Elon was already an investor, but he was Got on the it. board. Um, but day to day, you know, I, 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 I worked, we worked out of JB's living room. That was the, uh, Tesla annex, uh, back then um and and a couple a couple shops in menlo park and in in san carlos and and you were working on i guess the first car was the roadster so you're working on the roadster battery at the time then yeah, you know, when I showed up, there there was there was nothing. It was a two room office, and the uh, the three new technologies were really the motor, the controller, and the battery. And motor is 100 years old, invented by Nikola Tesla himself. The controller is about 20 year old technology, and the battery was we were super gluing uh, things together. So I said that that seems like the the nascent one. I, I was just at the at the factory in Austin last week, 
and they for some of us they gave us like a tour they were showing how they make the batteries there and there's like a million these little wires and someone actually does it partially by hand which is very un unintuitive to me they said they have machines but they also have people who are faster at some part of it which but, but you, you guys had to make machines that created these things though yeah so you're i i suspect they're still using the wire bonding process that was sort mm. of a, a way to uh make these these electrical connections to the batteries with uh with what would be also kind of a fusible link so it's sort of a half safety half performance um uh, but i'm surprised to hear that there's that there's humans they told me there's part some parts by hand that are more efficient which i didn't i didn't believe either but who knows that's what they're saying but it, it looks like they're making their own motors and they're proud of it so there's some advancement there too i guess but the battery is the bigger part of the advancement for sure i mean compared to where it started right i you know motor that we started with was probably close to you know 90 low 90s percent efficiency and now they're probably you know i don't i don't know the exact details but they're probably upper 90s on the efficiency of the motor so Got you it. know those are big gains but those aren't relative those are relatively sort of modest compared to taking batteries that are you know incredibly inefficient and expensive and and what they've they've achieved now it's so, so what was what was it like working on like the first this is the first massive lithium-ion mass-produced batteries for, for for automobiles like you guys like what do you have to do to, to achieve that so there's a ton of skepticism right the the auto industry basically looked at it and said look there's you can't use laptop batteries to make cars that's just dumb it's never going to work uh it's unsafe you got seven thousand of them all those connections are going to fail so there's a huge amount of skepticism that we heard all around but it was sort of one problem at a time and you don't know you know as a young engineer you don't know any better that that something's not supposed to be doable and you just figure it out so the key issues were how do you connect seven thousand thousand cells together um some of the some you know the wire bonding was, cells, seven thousand cells in the original yeah. monster battery yep. uh, 99 groups in series 69 in parallel um and the so that was a big challenge the other big challenge was really safety so so batteries can develop defects they can go into thermal runaway and one of the big things we solved is that if that happens you know in one battery that it not propagate to the rest so all sort of 69 a, all, other all 69 exactly others. so so if one if one happens to have a defect uh, that causes a failure it, if it if it propagates you have a problem and if it doesn't you have an inherently safe system and so we were able to make an inherently safe system with a lot of thermal thermal um, challenges in order to make that work was elon involved in choosing 69 as a number of batteries? <laughs> no that was no, that was <laughs> me that was me <laughs> <Sorry>. so i <laughs> um I'm no, just so sorry. We can edit that out. Maybe we'll see. So you're at Tesla, one of the most exciting companies in the world. Why did you decide to step down and finish your master's degree and start Sela? Um, it was really a choice between after shipping the Roadster, doing the Model S, which I knew was going to be a five-year project and, and was going to be incredibly hard and incredibly fun, and kind of going back to the beginning. And I, I wanted to take everything I had learned seeing this company go from seven people to 300 from no product to a product in the market and really apply it to uh, another part of the energy uh, puzzle. And so um, with, you know, with that in mind, I kind of I left and went and spent a couple of years studying the science of energy, much which led me to batteries, which led me to the chemistry side of things. And um, and ultimately got exactly what I wanted, which is to, to start a company that has a has a chance of making a huge, huge impact on the world. You know, I'm actually I'm a computer scientist. Uh, I'm always a small investor, proud investor in your company, but I'm, I'm not an expert in batteries. Take us through the basic chemistry of a battery. What are the factors that limit storage and density, and you know how do you overcome these factors? Yeah, so so a lithium-ion battery in particular is a fairly uh, mechanical and intuitive system in some respects. So there's four components that matter. Uh, I promise I won't go too deep, but there's the anode which stores the lithium when the battery's charged, and the cathode that stores the lithium when the battery's discharged. Think of those as like housing materials for the energy carrier. Um, 
those are the two things, you know, if, if you remember nothing else, those are the two materials that really matter. And the anode are, and the cathode, and they store the lithium. And they store the lithium. One when it's charged, the other one it's discharged. And and uh, and how's the energy being stored? It's a lithium ion battery. What's so that mean? So that means the the lithium atom is the is the energy carrier, and it's physically residing in the anode when the battery's charged. It, it's forming bonds with, uh, in, in conventional batteries, the anode is graphite, and our batteries, the anode is, is silicon. Mm -hmm. uh, and the energy is stored in those chemical bonds. And then as you discharge the battery, the lithium moves to the cathode, which in conventional batteries is metal oxide. Um, and you know it, it, it ends up bonding with those with that metal oxide. And, and, just, and just to go a little bit deeper, just for people who are interested, what are the bonds that are storing the energy? Is it like lithium and it's, it's not it's not interacting with the silicon or is it or what's going on there? So in conventional batteries on the it's uh, it's the the atomic uh, structures essentially six carbon atoms and one silk, uh, lithium atom sitting in the middle, uh, and so it's LiC six yep. is the chemical kind of how it compounds. And then in the cathode, it's uh, it's a metal oxide. In your phone, it's a lithium cobalt oxide. So Li cobalt CO uh, oxygen O two, uh, mm -hmm. and so that's a crystal structure. And again, the lithium atom kind of sits in the middle or in some part of that crystal lattice. Um, and so those are relatively kind of weak bonds and, and it stores a sort of a, a, you know, a nominal amount of energy. When you're charging, it's moving the lithium to the C6 away from the COO2. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and then, and, it, and and then and as you kind of, as you close the circuit and you let the electrons run the other way, you know, it, it wants to go back the, the lithiums want to go back to yeah. the cobalt. And the, what happens when the lithium's not there, what's the cobalt and the, and the O2 doing? Like, is it just cobalt and then it, it's. I mean, it's basically hanging out. Uh, hanging it's out. you know, it's an empty. It's an empty home. Is the oxygen not? Is the oxygen still still there, or is it just yep. or is it pulled in from the air? Or just oxygen's still there? still there. It's all. A, it's a solid material, right? So it. really, like the best analogy, and and we we uh, get into some of this in in still an accessible way in a white paper we have on our on our website where the analogy we use there is to think of two auditoriums, right? Mm -hmm. And and the lithium cobalt oxide or the main or nickel oxide or whatever you're using uh, in the cathode. That's one auditorium full of seats and the Carbon or uh, silicon is an auditorium full. And the anode that you have that has more silicon in it. What's the what's the chemical there then? So so there the li uh, four atoms of lithium actually bond with a single atom of silicon. So you Got remember it. with carbon it's six to one. Here it's it's one to four. So it's twenty four x atomically better. And this is sort of the the real the real advantage of the the chemistry we work on. At the atomic level, you know, it's that much more efficient. Now silicon's heavier. So it's only about 10 times better on a weight basis. And then the other thing that happens is the silicon expands about 3x as you as you charge it with lithium. And so uh, on a volume basis, it's about three times better, right? Got it. But your battery expands more than? Uh, so the key is how do you make that expansion manageable uh, with every charge and discharge? And yeah. so you don't, you, don't, of, you don't want to blow up the phone or you the don't car. Wanna, you don't, exactly, exactly. So that's, you know, we spent a decade. Uh, we were the first to kind of crack the code on this in a way that's that's scalable and we can replace the entire. Is there, is there, is there a trick you can explain or is that the secret IP? No, it, it conceptually it's um, we created a superstructure that allows the silicon uh, lithium uh, to expand and contract inside of a larger scaffold particle. Right. So it's sort of a. Um, you know, think um, um, think like raisin bread, as an, uh, and it's like the raisins are expanding and contracting, but it has kind of an outer rind that keeps it all intact. Got it. So you, because it's 24 times more dense, if you could still have a little bit more extra room, it's still much more dense than the exactly, other one. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because it's it has so much, you know, um, it has, uh, it, it's so much better in theory, right? Even in a practical implementation, it's still a lot better.
So right right now, the high end lifespan of a Tesla battery understands about five hundred thousand miles, half a million miles. Does it need to get to a million or two million miles? Is is that possible? Is it important, or is it or is it right now it already lasts so long? It's the car's going to break down anyway. Look, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about uh, the long arc of of transportation and how do we get to every single car in the world being electric. And what we need to do is is bring down the cost of of energy storage to do that. But there's actually sort of two ways to reduce the cost. One is you can bring down the upfront cost. The other is you can increase the residual value, mm -hmm. right? And so um, as you move to batteries that are able to last a million, two million, ten million uh, miles, you know the 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 residual value is basically the same as the upfront value. And and yeah. the cost of capital on an auto loan is very very low. So you just you just keep the batteries, put them in a new car eventually. Eventually, that's that's where we're going to be. In the meantime, you're going to recycle them, but the less often you have to recycle them, the the, the kind of the less new cost uh, comes in. And tell us for batteries in the world. There's like I have batteries in my phone and on my laptop and in my car. On your wrist and your AirPods. On your wrist, I have an old fashioned watch on, but it's true. Most people nowadays who are normal have Apple watches, yeah. which is there, and so. Like how much batteries are used, how much battery material is used for all like the wrists and phone and laptop versus cars? Like what's the what's the amounts? So there's about uh, 10,000 phone batteries worth of material in a single car. Wow, a single car, 10,000 phones. So, 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 so for the battery market, the cars are just way more, way more Completely stuff. dominant. So, you, you're, so you're just focused, if you're, you're running a company, the cars is the thing to focus on. When, well, uh, the value in a phone or a consumer device is still quite quite high, and when you, when you're running a company, the first you know you can first produce a certain quantity of material, and then you can produce ten x. So you guys more, you guys went into wearables first because you just produced enough material for them. Exactly. Like, are you are you going to go into phones at some point? It seems like a smart thing to yes. do because they're it, valuable. It's still. basically going to go wearables, phones, cars. The grid, right? It's, yep. it's sort of as we get and, more. And the scale, grid is the one thing you could potentially use more than cars because in order for solar and wind to actually be something that actually works for our civilization. We need like a ton more storage, right? It's about the same as cars. So it's more like a 2X. Well, it is right now. But if you think about like... No, 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 no. It will be. The it same. will be. Yeah. It, so today, today cars are, 10, today cars are 10, way bigger. 10 or 20 times more. That's really interesting because my my intuition is that we just need like a ton more storage before we, we, renewables can actually... Right now, renewables to me aren't actually that useful yet because if it's, if it's you know, if it's just like the wind's not blowing, you still need to turn on the coal plant. Right. So, or whatever, you know, and so, and so, but eventually you're going to have enough batteries that you can just have renewables and store and charge stuff. And, but you, you're saying that's going to be about equal to the amount of batteries you need for cars. When, when it'll be much point. higher, it'll be much higher utilization in the grid, right? So if you think about the energy stored in your EV, you know, you're not using all of it every day. Um, although that will also change. So the other answer to your question of kind of why do we need a million mile battery or 10 million mile battery is as we get to a Autonomy, which obviously is going to take a little longer than everybody expected. You know, vehicles are going to go from driving 100,000 miles in 10 years to driving a million or two million and miles. The vehicle should always be on for everyone. All, yeah, it's a shared economy, it's just going. Yeah. And as you can imagine, with the cost of recharging an EV being almost nothing compared to the cost of refueling a car, you know, autonomous. Uh, EVs are going to be not just a little cheaper than gas-powered EVs, but they're going to be an order of magnitude cheaper. That's they're great. 10x better. Eventually, we're going to have all these tunnels under our cities with autonomous vehicles going back and forth forever, and you don't want to run out of battery. Wanna, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I look. I look forward to that day. They'll need a lot of battery we're materials. Get, we're, we're, getting, we're pushing Elon and Austin to try to, <laughs> try to get that forward. But that, but that's really interesting. So it's the car market and the grid long term are pretty similar. They're the two things that matter. Yeah. One of, one of, one and that's of, the mission of the company too, right? We're not, I mean, we love making products like Whoop better. We want to make your phone better, but we're really here to Because you to could make the phone energy. battery last way longer. Yeah, exactly. And we, and we will, that that's all going to, that's all going to, you like, know, my it, phone, my phone may be able to last for like a few days or something, if you get this right, or uh, prob you can, you can probably extend the runtime of the cell by 
with a with not just our technology but other technologies by r roughly a factor of two. That's kind of what's okay. what's out. Well, right now it lasts for a little over a day. So yeah, yeah, you can get there. You're saying so that the mission of the company though is not just about making your phone last twice as long. It's actually enabling a future where where the renewables can work on the grid and, and where the autonomous vehicles can can go forever. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you know that 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 future will be a lot less extractive of resources from the earth. As a matter of fact, once all of the sort of nickel and cobalt and, and uh, copper and, and aluminum is in the batteries in the world, like it'll all end up being recycled. Basically, 100% of lead acid batteries are recycled today. So you can imagine you sort of need to, you can you need to seed all of that. You think a one-time one -time mining thing where we're going to mine like crazy for a couple of decades, but then we're just going to recycle it all and reuse it. That's the, way the it's vision. That's how it should work. And that's how, you know, that's how it works with lead acid batteries today. They're all recycled. And so yeah. it's like, it, th these are two, these materials are too valuable to not, to not be recycled. And, you know, and, and so in, you can you can kind of think of it this way for, you know, for the last hundred and some years, all of almost all of the energy that humans have used has come stored in the chemical bonds of fossil fuels. And those are si effectively single use. Batteries. My dad likes to call them hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're You know, it takes about 100 million years to recharge them. Right. Uh, and so with, with batteries, you're going to have chemical bonds that are useful for a thousand times, 10,000 times. So even if they're 10 X more expensive, it doesn't matter the, the economics. If you could make better. hydrocarbons efficiently, would there still be some use cases where you might want to use them? Yes. Um, I think flight is going to be, uh, something that's going to be very, very hard to, it, it, it uh, seems like for jet planes to just like maybe yeah. make jet fuel and, that's and, right. and you know, that's take right. it out of the air or something. Yeah. But 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 for cars, for for phones, for everything, for grid, it's all batteries. Yeah. Why why waste a bunch of inefficiency going from electrons, which we're going to get from the sun or the wind or fusion or wherever? Uh, why why take it through a convoluted pathway to make a you know yeah. chemical bond only to kind of bring it back to, a, you know, probably electricity in the end anyways. No, of course. The price of lithium, speaking of mining, has gone up like 500% or so in the last year, I think. Is, yeah. So what effects is that having on the electric vehicle market, on, on what you do? Cost of, not a lot of effect on what we do. Um, is lithium a small part of the cost? It's a very small part of the cost, but anything that go, you know, even if you take something that's two or 3% of the cost and 5 exit, now it starts to become really yeah, 10 meaningful. 10-15% more, yeah. So we saw battery prices increase for the first time and, you know, in I mean, heck, probably in 30 years, uh, this, this, this past year. Um, and I guess everything's going up in price right now, but, but in particular through supply shortages, right? So this is, and, and, and I, and really, sorry, not even supply shortages, but really demand far outstripping, right? There's it's so much, just demand so much EVs. new demand for these, for, for EVs, for lithium, for, yeah. for cobalt, I guess, and other yeah. pieces. Yeah. And cobalt, for example, you know, Cobalt is a co-product of mining. It means you don't yep. find a primary cobalt mine. You find a nickel mine that has some. And you cobalt. get some extra cobalt. And so you know the amount of it produced is very, very inelastic. And so you have you have a real challenge with with things like that. Nickel, you know, is used for uh, primarily nickel is mined for steel production. You and I understand Russia has a lot of the nickel. Russia is that has a, a lot problem of right now? That that will be that will, you know if uh, I, I haven't followed what what the sanctions are like around the nickel, but that could certainly pose a problem. But it's used for steel, and steel is sort of a very has a very inelastic demand as well yeah. like you need the steel you're going to need even if it costs a bit more whereas if you can you know so evs are kind of right now getting a little bit of the short end of the stick of, of uh, supply and and i mean is how's this going to evolve let's say we have to all of a sudden put the grid to work for for renewables or, or whatever like that like is that going to shoot up the cost for a while of these things like it could all this stuff be really expensive for the next couple decades I don't think it's going to be a couple of decades. I think we're talking about years. Um, and I think this is very natural for an industry that's going from kind of 1% penetration to 10% penetration. It's really, really hard to go from, you know, 10x uh, the scale of an industry over the course of uh, five or seven years. Once you're at 10% going to 20 or 30, 
you know, that's a lot easier. That's a lot more predictable. Um, the Got so right it. now, right now, the, so we're the, kind of this really big jump right now, but then we'll start to be predictable and be able to plan right, ahead. Right, right, exactly. Because it's not going to go exponential forever. We're going through this exponential at, at scales that no one's really dealt with. It's a big market, though. I mean, what percent right now are electric vehicles? I think a two, three percent, something like that. So that, so that could probably. jump up ten x in the next right. And, one, and so getting Decade. to 30% is going to be absolutely. And that getting so it's going to so be, be crazy really five or 10 years, crazy five or 10 years. But from 30 to 60, you know, that's only a two X jump. That's, you know, same, same scale, but only a two X jump. And, and so for you, I mean, you guys, you're obviously positioned very well. Everyone needs what you're doing. Like you're just trying to ramp as fast as you can and making big partnerships. Like, like, how are you thinking about this? We are, um, we'll, you know, we'll have some announcements coming on, on scale, but that's, that's the name of the game. Now, um, the same technology that we ship in the whoop today, which was the first product with our, uh, first product in the market with our technology and really the first product with any next generation battery technology, uh, in the market, you know, that same material, that same technology is what we're going to ship in the first cars. And so it's really about taking it several orders of magnitude. You know, we've, from starting from lab scale, we've, uh, over the last seven years, we've scaled up about 10,000 X from lab scale to production scale. From where we are today to supplying all cars globally, you know, is, <laughs> is going to be probably another five orders of magnitude. That's a lot. Yeah. And it's That's not just, you know, spinning up AWS uh, uh, servers, you can right? You can just turn so, it on, yeah. Um, we will build... You're making fun of me as a computer scientist, huh? <laughs> just, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll you, probably... You can just press a button like you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll probably have to put, you know, tens of billions of dollars of capital on the ground to, to, to meet the demand just for our component, just for the Anode component. And the whole industry as a whole is putting, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, one, to, to kind of come back to this, this, this sense of scale, you know, we're talking about cars and phones. When Tesla built the first Gigafactory, it was it was uh, it was bigger than all of the demand for all consumer electronics at the time. Right. Wow, so. wow, that's huge. I mean, it is just a huge, and it's just such a big amount. And like one of the things that one of Elon's right my friends was like one of Elon's right hands was telling me is he thinks the batteries at scale. You might just use something much cheaper, like an iron-based thing, because it's just so cheap. If you need, you just need something cheap at scale. Like, how do you think about that? Like, like what's, like, what does this look like at scale? You know. So we talked a lot about the cobalt oxide, right? Yeah. So there's sort of a, there's a different cathode chemistry uh, called iron phosphate, uh, and it's iron-based. It doesn't have nickel, doesn't have cobalt. It's lower performance, so you can only get a 200-mile range. You, car. you wouldn't want to use it on a car, but maybe for the grid or something. If you're just, if you're just trying to get the grid there, to have enough batteries, there are uh, that. That's right. Although I, I, you know. Being somebody who's in lithium ion, I actually think the scale of automotive will also lead lithium ion to dominate most of the grid. There will be parts of the God, grid. It's just going to get so good because of automotive needs that yeah. you might as well just use the good stuff you're already making anyway. That's it's, right. It's going to be cheaper. That's right. That's right. It, it. It, it tends to be that the thing that gets hundreds of billions of dollars of investment over the course of decades is the you know is also really competitive in adjacent markets and not such an adjacent market. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So the lithium ion is the biggest focus, and so you got you guys you started with Whoop. And and uh, you, you have joint battery ventures that are public with BMW and Daimler. I understand yeah, they're right they're now. two of our uh, flagship flagship auto partners. Right how, now. How, how did you how did you close the deals with those guys? Like, what did that look like, and why are they working with you? <laughs> that was tough. Uh, you know, uh, all of this was sort of before the world really 
I think the world really changed in 2020. The the kind of I would say the, glo- the global pools of money recognized that kind of EVs are here to stay, and this isn't a fad. People weren't really sure of that it before. It took till then. 2020. I mean, yeah. it was reflected in Tesla stock price, but that's sort of you know a reflection of what what's happening behind the scenes. And at that point, sort of all the car companies had you know were be- becoming fully committed to electrifying their fleets. Um, some are still sort of holding out, dragging their heels. But I mean, the, that, it's everyone, game over. everyone wasn't sure if it was real. People thought maybe this is like a woke green thing that you're supposed yeah. to say. But, but then it actually turned out to be true. Yeah. It just seems just like a better way to do cars. Yeah. And they're just yeah. they're just better cars. Right. That's yeah. the key. And that this is it's not just green. It's not green. It's they're just better. I, cars. I, I was driving. I had a Tesla for a while, the model, uh, the S model. And I had an old like three series BMW that I used to drive a lot. And I was driving it a few years ago and I, and I hadn't driven it for a year. And I thought maybe it was broken. And, and, then, and then, <laughs> so they took it into the shop for, and then it turned out it was just that it was just so much worse than, <laughs> than the Tesla that it wasn't actually broken. So well, it, and, I, I really do appreciate like the, the better electric and, car. And so there were, you know, there were champions at companies like Mercedes and, and BMW that, that believed in us before kind of the whole world shifted. And now we're going to help them electrify and make, you know, much, much make better, better electric EVs, cars. right? Yeah. Um, our, our, our chemistry, it lives at, at sort of this fundamental layer, and and we 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 our goal is to support all EV makers, right? So, um, we our hope is that every every car maker will use Sela technology, but those will hopefully be some of the first. That's awesome. And you you've said before the 20th century was built on the science of combustion, and the 21st century is going to be built around battery storage. What does that look like more broadly in life? How how will life be different because of this? I think fundamentally the world's going to be much much cleaner. Uh, you know, and, and we, we may experience that directly. We may notice it, we may not notice it. It's a little bit like we got here to a, a heavily polluting kind of climate change world little by little, right? We were sort of boiled like frog, frog in, in water. Um, I think all of that will change. I don't think, I think by the middle of the century, I'm very, very confident that most fossil fuel fuel use will go away. People will have to find um, something else to complain about. They, and, and there will be other big problems to solve, right? Uh, but I think that that's one that we can absolutely solve. Um, we can we can build a closed loop ecosystem, as I talked about with kind of the recycling piece. Um, and, and uh, you know, these these batteries are gonna require dramatically less inputs to, to make. Um, mm. We're gonna all drive electric vehicles. We're probably gonna fly on some electric planes, uh, not for long distances, but for regional, regional planes. Um, you know, urban air mobility will become a reality. The electric sort of, vertical takeoff and landing machines. I, I, I've been working on some of those. It's pretty yeah. fun stuff. Yeah, they need better batteries, right? That's that's like the key limiter. Um, and the, but they're a lot more redundant than helicopters. They're a lot. They can be a lot safer. So I think we'll get around differently. Um, we'll have abundant, cheap, clean energy. And and when you have that, you know, you can invest that in sort of solving whatever problem you want, right? If you if if uh, if energy doesn't have this this negative externality, you know, I, I don't know what what creative entrepreneurs are going to figure out to do with with cheap clean energy but i bet the world will be a better place there's an interesting graph i saw that shows the price of energy kind of going down dramatically in terms of what's used by consumers until about the 70s and then it kind of stalled and hasn't really gone down as much it seems like it's it's similarly like the standard of living for the working class also didn't improve as much and i don't I, i don't i don't think it's a full explanation but it seems like at least correlated where it's probably like really good for the working class and middle class to have even cheaper energy. You know? Right. I mean, it's such a fundamental part of our life, right? And so to like not be able to have that, 
the cost of that continue to go down, or at least what you get for what you pay not go up is is is, is kind of so it's it, kind of miserable. It sort of drives everything. So so we started yeah. this podcast to push back against a lot of the cynicism and pessimism across our country. And what would you say to the folks who believe the future is darker than the past and that we're heading into some kind of dystopian decline and, and now this stuff's gonna work? Yeah, I, I I just don't see it, right? I've 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 been working on on uh, electric vehicles for my whole career, about twenty years now, and I think in this by the time I'm done with this, you know, hopefully by by the middle of the century or so, we will have gone from all fossil fuel transportation to all electric transportation, with save for a few kind of a few jets. If that's not a brighter future, I really don't know what is. Um, and you know, I I I know there's other entrepreneurs that are solving problems left and right uh, in in different fields, whether it's biotechnology or um, or just an, a number, a number of uh, of areas. So I, I know about my little piece. I I, I don't believe that solving, um, I don't believe solving most of climate change is going to be a technology problem. I think we have the technologies. I'm watching them get invented. I'm watching them get scaled right now. There's lots of policy cha- changes that need to happen. But I think fundamentally, once you give policymakers technologies that they can lean on. Uh, they they inevitably you know come along and 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 I think we'll have a very very clean energy future. And, and, and just to summarize, like why should we be optimistic about battery technology? Like 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 ha- like what's happening? What's happening right now? Like why is it? Is it why, why, how do we know this is actually advancing and working? So if you if you go back to the beginning of Tesla, right? We basically consumer electronics drove the birth of uh, you know and the advancement of lithium ion batteries to the point where you could build the first car. With it, and then once we built the first car with it, now cars are actually driving the innovation for everything else. And so the 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 this shift uh, in automotive is bringing so much capital and so many of the brightest minds to batteries. I mean, back when I got started, it was not and it is not the pl- cool place to be, right? Like all my peers were working on something else. Um, I just found it fascinating. And and now we're getting the, the best and brightest are coming to batteries and it's really being pulled by the demand of cars. And as the as the, that demand grows, more and more capital, more and more talent comes to the space. And there's just, there's, there's still tons of scientific opportunity. And so we are going to continue to crack different pieces based on based on the demand that we see. What, what's the if you graph over time, like over the last 30 years is like is like the percent of like improvement similar? Is it climbing? Like is it like how do you, how, how, how would you measure that? So uh, it, it happens. There's there's not a particular Moore's law, if you will. Um, it's much more um, generational shifts. So this graphite metal oxide chemistry went through an S curve and flatlined, totally flatlined. Uh, and that's sort of when when I started to see it flatlining at Tesla as part of the was part of the impetus for starting Sela, right? And and so this next S curve that we're working on has the opportunity to kind of double it double it again from from where it was. And so we're sort of at the beginning of the second S curve right now. Um, there's, you know, there's a couple kind of uh, plots of that again in, in, in the white paper. Maybe we can flash it up for, for those watching on on, uh, on YouTube. Um, and then the the other interesting piece is, is uh, the other plot I love um, is looking at battery costs against cumulative production, right? So you have this kind of learning curve. And every time you, you know, you increase the amount of production by a factor of two or a factor of 10, you know, it, it comes down a certain percentage, certain percentage. And so you can plot that out and you can see the costs 
if technology improves, trending to kind of 50 bucks a kilowatt hour, which would have been unthinkable wow. to people, you know, uh, just a, just a few years ago. I mean, 100 seemed like a, a real stretch for everybody. And I think we're going to see 50 by the end of the decade. And, and that's what actually gets to the scale where you can start using it for the grid and everything. Exactly. Else, and grid, the grid is more of a cost problem. That's why it's so much smaller demand for batteries today. They're still just when, a little too expensive. And once you have that, then we actually really can have solar and wind and, and nuclear solve all of our problems and store everything. It, 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 it will happen faster than people think. Awesome. Well, that's a good note to end it on. Thanks so much, Gene. Thanks, Joe.